It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood A beautiful day for a neighbor Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood A neighborly day for a beauty Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you So let's make the most of this beautiful day Since we're together we might as well say Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor. Thank you to Brian Piper, Mr. McFeely on the piano here. Uh, if you've never seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you've probably thought that I've lost my mind, and you might be right. Uh, but I'm glad you joined with us today, neighbor. I'm glad you came here in person. For those of you watching online on TV land, we're glad you're here as well. And if you would, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 10, as we look at a very special story that I want to tell you today, one of the greatest Bible stories of all time. And there on your TV guide or on your worship guide, if you will, we're going to look at this passage in three different parts. We're going to see the question, the parable, and the response. The question, the parable, and the response. Again, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 25. We're going to take a look first at the question. The question here in Luke chapter 10, that's truly one of the most amazing Bible stories we know. Luke chapter 10, beginning with the question, notice starting in verse 25, Luke tells us that a lawyer stood up and put him, put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now notice in verse 25, first of all, this lawyer comes and he comes to Jesus and he's trying to put Jesus to the test. And so lesson number one from this passage is you can't trust lawyers, right? Uh, not really, but notice his intentions here. This lawyer comes to Jesus and he's testing Jesus. He's putting him to the test. His intentions here are not pure and he poses this question to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a huge question. But what's fascinating, what Jesus does, and you see this throughout Jesus' ministry, often when Jesus is asked a question from someone who's trying to trap him, he answers the question with the question. And Jesus is a master at asking good questions that really get to the heart of the issue. And that's exactly what he does here. In verse 26, he turns to the lawyer and says, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? I think you could kind of contemporize this and say Jesus is basically saying, well, you're the lawyer, you tell me, right? You're the expert, so you tell me. 
The interrogated now becomes the interrogator. And notice the man's response in verse 27. He answered Jesus and said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So here the lawyer, in answering now Jesus' question, he recites what is called the Shema. This is the heart of Judaism. This is the heart of the Old Testament. And even Jesus himself, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. But this was the heart of the Jewish faith. This is the heart of the Old Testament. So, so far, so good here for the lawyer. But notice verse 28. Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. You've answered correctly. Again, so far, so good for the lawyer, right? But then notice what Jesus does next. He said to him, you have answered correctly Now do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. In other words, practice what you preach. You know the truth. You know that the heart of the Jewish faith is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now do this, Jesus challenges the lawyer. As far as Jesus is concerned, having the right answers does not necessarily mean you know what to do. You have the right life. So Jesus says, I want you to do this and you will live. And then notice verse 29. Again, Jesus is a master at asking questions and he is a master at really getting to the heart of the issue. And so notice verse 29, it tells us that wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself, the lawyer turns to Jesus and says, all right, so who's my neighbor? We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so the lawyer says, well, tell me, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Again, notice, uh, just as a side note, this is not the main point of the passage, but notice how Jesus is engaging this guy. He's engaging this guy by asking deep, penetrating questions. And this is a skill I think we need to learn today. Again, this isn't the heart of the passage. The application of the passage isn't, you know, be a good question asker. But there's certainly a skill here in Jesus that I think all of us can learn from. He knows how to ask questions in order to truly engage with people's heart. And he knows that for this particular lawyer, he's trying to justify himself, as the passage says here. This is loaded with significance here. The lawyer wants to see himself. He's coming to Jesus really to feel good about himself. To think that he's doing everything exactly how it's supposed to be done. He's trying to justify himself and so he asks Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He wants to know where to draw the line of who's an insider and who's an outsider. Notice implied in the very question, who is my neighbor? Implied in that question is, well, there's someone who's not my neighbor. There's someone I don't have to love, right? And that, by the way, let's 
back up and talk a little bit of a context. Historically, this was a question that was hotly debated in Judaism. They knew the commandment, love God and love one another. And so the scholars, the scribes, the religious leaders, they would debate all the time, okay, well, who is my neighbor? And we have different writings of different rabbis and teachers during this time, and and they would talk about who's an insider and who's an outsider, who you have to love and who you don't have to love. And in fact, in one writing around this time, um, they make it very clear that Samaritans are outsiders. You don't have to love Samaritans because they're the despicable people of all the earth, according to some. But this guy wants to know who's in and who's out. And you know, neighbor, this is a good question for us to ask today as well. As we look around our world, uh, many of us are overcome, if you will, by the amount of division and hatred and, and all of that. And we need to ask, okay, well, who is my neighbor? The problem we see with the lawyer is he's trying to justify himself. He ultimately has a heart problem. He wants to know what he can do to justify himself, to check that box. He really wants Jesus to just tell him what to do so he can leave feeling good about himself. And I'm sure you'll confess along with me as I confess to you that uh, I struggle with this as well. We try to justify ourselves. We try to focus on what we do rather than who we are. So who is my neighbor is the question. Let's keep reading the passage number two on your outline and see what Jesus has to say to us this morning. With this question now out there, Jesus tells a story, a parable. Let me read for you, starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied to him after this man says, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied to him and said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Let's pause right here. So although this is a parable, uh, this actually is a situation that everyone in the first century world would have been familiar with. The road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it's a drop in elevation, a very steep climb, about uh, 3,600 feet in drop. And this was a very dangerous road, a very treacherous road, and it was common for robbers to line that road for the many, many, many passengers who were leaving Jerusalem to worship to go down to Jericho. Uh, There's one major road, and so uh, there were robbers often along the way. And so uh, this situation Jesus describes here would have not been surprising at all. This would have been something very much on the minds of Jesus' hearers. And so notice what happens. This man, he's going down from Jerusalem, again, verse 30, which means he was probably there in Jerusalem for worship. He's going down in elevation to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's the problem. There's a man who's in need, who's been robbed. So what's going to happen? Notice verse 31. And by chance, I love that phrase, by chance. By chance, 
a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Again, the word going down tells us that the priest was in Jerusalem, and because he was a priest, he was probably serving in the temple. So he's this religious man serving in the temple. He's done his duty now, and now he's traveling down that same road, that Jericho road, towards Jericho, and he passes by this guy. Notice as well that the phrase there, he passed by on the other side. This implies that he clearly got out of the way. He didn't even want to come near to the man who had been beaten. The text really emphasizes here his callousness of his heart. Rather than showing mercy and compassion on the man who has need, this man walks by the other side. He probably thinks to himself, listen, this man isn't my neighbor. I don't know him. Maybe he deserved to be there. So I have no obligation to him. Verse 32, the story continues. Scene two, if you will. Verse 32, likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we saw the priest, here we see the Levite. The Levites were religious men as well. So he's traveling down the same road, again, probably having served in the temple. He's traveling down the Jericho road towards Jericho. And he passes by this man who's been beaten and harmed and is in need. But again, just like the priest, here's another religious man and another callous response. Again, this man probably thinks, I don't know who this guy is. He's not my neighbor, and so he just passes on by. He has no obligation, he thinks, to, to help. Now, let's pause in the story for just a minute, and again, I want to explain a little bit of context to you. Um, it was common in these days, it was part of the common vernacular to talk about three classes of people within Israel. You had the priests, the Levites, and the people. So, Often you would hear stories about the priests, the Levites, and then just the common Jewish people. So if you were a hearer of this parable for the first time, you would probably expect for the next scene, scene three, to be a normal Jewish man. Because we've talked about the priest and he passed by. We've talked about the Levite and he passed by. So you would expect probably now for Jesus to talk about a fellow Israelite. But that's not what he does. Notice verse 33. The third player we meet in this story, Jesus says, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan. And as you're probably aware, Jews and Samaritans didn't really get along with one another. Uh, they were bitter enemies, divided along religious lines, racial lines, all kinds of lines. These people were divided. They wanted to have nothing to do with one another. They had a, a very, uh, a history very much rooted in conflict. It was like the Hatfields and McCoys, only way worse, right? And so it, it would have shocked Jesus's audience to hear now Jesus switch, not to an Israelite, but to a Samaritan. But even more surprising is what the Samaritan does. Notice again, verse 33, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. 
and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put them on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Again, the shocker, the the surprising thing in this story is that it's not the priest, it's not the Levite, it's not the two religious guys, it's the despised Samaritan who is moved with compassion. Remember the original question that the lawyer came to Jesus and asked is, um, you know, what should I do? And Jesus said, well, you, you know, you're the lawyer, you tell me. And he quotes from the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here we see the link between love and compassion. That here the Samaritan in this story is the one in his love is moved to compassion, to respond to the one who is in need. Notice he, he dresses this man's wounds He puts this man he doesn't know on his own animal. He leads him on foot to this inn. He even pays for his care. It it costs him time, money, effort, and it's certainly risky for him as well. Here in the story, uh, we're given no details, uh, and we're left to assume that this man, this Samaritan, knows nothing about this guy other than the fact that he's in need. Years ago, neighbor, I took a trip to India, and I was in New Delhi. New Delhi is a very uh, busy city, and uh, we were walking down a very, very busy road, and, and the road was extremely busy. Traffic was in the street. There's absolutely no way you could uh, venture off into the street. You'd get hit by a car, and so you're forced uh, to walk down this very, very narrow sidewalk, um, and there's tons of people on the sidewalk as well, and so it, it's kind of hard to navigate through. But the most challenging thing for me was about every five feet or so, there was an individual uh, who had extreme deformities. Just about every five feet, there was another person who had deformities you, you, I didn't even know you could have and still be alive. And to tell you the truth, it was one of the lowest points uh, maybe ever for me. As you're walking down this narrow sidewalk in a very busy place and you're literally having to step over people with physical deformities just to get where you're going. And it just wrecked my soul because you're overcome with the need and you simply just don't know what to do. The need seems so great And you seem so small and insignificant that you just kind of feel hopeless. What can one person really do? And I'm sure that you too at times have felt that sense of just overwhelming hopelessness. Again, maybe you do today in our current climate and situation in the world. There's so much division, there's so much hatred. You've probably asked the question, what can I do? What can a person truly do? And to get the answer, I want us to look at number three on our outline, the response that Jesus gives us here. Like I've said a few times now, Jesus has a way of really getting to the heart of the matter by asking very good questions. And after telling this story, this parable, notice the question Jesus asks in verse 36. He says to the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, Which of these three do you think 
proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. Now notice what Jesus does here. Jesus really changes the question. The man asked, who is my neighbor? Who am I obligated to love and who am I okay to not love? But Jesus changes the question. He tells the story and then he says, who do you think proved to be a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but who in his actions, in his love, in his compassion proved to be neighborly? See, if you start with the wrong question, you'll always end up with the wrong answer. And so Jesus changes the question, focused not so much on people as an object, a project, but he turns the table on the lawyer and he says, well, what kind of person really do you want to be? What does it really mean to be loving? to be compassionate, to be neighborly. By changing the question, Jesus changes the focus from one of obligation to really one of identity. Again, we talked weeks ago in Genesis chapter one about what it is to be created as the image bearers of God. And we are to spread out all over God's creation and bear his image to reflect him, to represent him everywhere we go, to be the people he created us to be. And also in this story, we see that we are to treat other people as people who are created in the image of God. We're to respond to other people as those who are created in the image of God, not as projects, not as obligations, but as human beings who are created as the image bearers of God. Notice in the passage, by the way, um, when Jesus asks, okay, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Verse 37, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. Many commentators and pastors have pointed out the fact that the hatred between Jews and Samaritans was so deep that this man can't even say the word Samaritan. So he simply says, well, the one who showed mercy. But in giving that answer, he actually identifies really the heart of the issue. It's mercy. It's being a merciful person. The neighbor is someone who acts with compassion and mercy toward other people. And that's really the point, the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. To be a neighbor is to be one who acts with compassion and mercy. And then finally, notice what Jesus says, verse 37 again. The lawyer said to Jesus, well, the one who's the neighbor is the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus said to him, to the lawyer, go and do the same. Go and do the same. And that's really the response, number three on your outline that we're getting at here. Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do the same. The heart, the center of what Jesus is getting at here is he's asking these really penetrating questions. The heart of the issue for him is to go and do the same, to be a person who acts compassionately towards other human beings. The lawyer had all the answers, but he missed the heart. In the parable, the priest and the Levite, they had all the answers, but they missed the heart. They missed the point to be compassionate people. So what's the point? What's the response that Jesus is getting at here? Uh, Daryl Bach, in his commentary, I think he's spoken here before, he says this. He says, the point is obvious. 
The lawyer wants to know if he can be a neighbor only to a select few group of people. But Jesus tells him through the Samaritan's example, let the neighbor be you. Be neighborly. And he says by reversing the perspective, Jesus changes both the question and the answer. In other words, it's the wrong question to ask, who is my neighbor? Jesus' challenge is for us to be neighborly, to be loving, to be compassionate with anybody whose path we cross. Go and do likewise is the point. And this is what engage, by the way, is all about, right? We think about the, the new mission of grace to equip, engage, and to exalt. We get a troop, equipped with the truth of God's word so we go out and engage people in the week and we come back together every weekend and exalt God for who he is and what he's doing. But the whole point of engage is that we see people as people. We engage them as Jesus is doing here, treating them with dignity as someone who's created as an image bearer of God and find opportunities to Share the gospel with them. But it's really done one relationship at a time, one human being at a time. So when you think about how to apply a, a passage like this, let me tell you a, a story. This uh, week as I was kind of putting the finishing churches on the application here and the whole red sweater, as I was literally ordering the red, red sweater here on Amazon, uh, my wife here was at the church at a, a Women of Grace event. On Thursday, the Women of Grace had an event, a mom's night out, and they had a speaker, a lady who I believe lives in Highland Park, and she started a ministry called Neighbor's Table. And it's a really cool idea. They, they build humongous like picnic tables for you to put in your yard, and then you invite your neighbors over for a meal. <laughs> it's a real simple concept, right? Um, but what they're finding is that it has a profound impact. To be neighborly, to our neighbors, think of that, opens up many opportunities for the gospel. To be compassionate, to be loving, to be a neighbor opens up tremendous opportunities for the gospel. And uh, on Friday, after that Women of Grace event, my wife, she wanted to uh, uh, make chocolate chip cookies, Valentine's Day chocolate chip cookies, um, and um, our kids, they uh, cut out little hearts with construction paper, put chocolate chip cookies on little plates, and they started passing out these chocolate chip cookies to our neighbors. And you would be shocked at the, the people who answered the door. Um, they just wanted to talk. They were so encouraged because, again, we're, we're all coming in this kind of COVID, post-COVID experience, and people are desperate for a relationship, Right? And the reason I highlight this is because I think what we see here in this passage, it doesn't have to be this complicated. Uh, something as simple as physically bringing cookies over to your neighbors, again, is a tremendous opportunity to engage with people, to meet them on a heart level, uh, and to hopefully uh, find opportunity to share the gospel. And that's just a couple of examples. Um, this week, or next week, in a couple weeks, we're gonna have our special missions and outreach conference. I wanna highlight a couple other practical ways that you can engage with people. In a couple weeks, like I said, it's a special missions and outreach conference, and we have tons of local opportunities uh, for you to get involved with if, if this is something you're looking to do. Um, let me just kind of quickly go down the list of different ministries we offer here at Grace Bible Church and I want you to just think, maybe God is putting one of these things on your heart. 
Uh, But each week, a ministry called Young Life meets here. Young Life's aim is to to reach high school kids with the gospel. And every week on Monday nights, a group of, of high school kids from all over this neighborhood, all over this community come here to Grace Bible Church and they have fun. They hear the gospel. They get loved on by amazing volunteers. If you have a heart for High school age kids, Young Life is a great opportunity. Uh, number two, Young Lives. Young Lives. This is one I've highlighted a number of times. This is becoming one of my favorite ministries. It's an outreach focused on young moms, teenage moms who chose to have their babies and they need loved on. And we've got an incredible group of women on Tuesdays uh, who share the gospel with these ladies, these young girls. Uh, give them tangible needs of diapers and baby wipes and things, and it's an incredible ministry. Uh, many of you know uh, down the road is Calle Elementary, and uh, there in that elementary school, we've got a number of people involved with Kids Beach Club. Uh, we've also got a number of people involved in other after-school programs. Again, just a way to reach neighborhood kids with the gospel. Um, on Fridays, there's a group of people here at Grace who uh, pack food bags for the homeless and go distribute them. Um, also, we're, we're partners with Casa del Lago, a ministry that serves the Bachman Lake community through childhood education and elementary school literacy, another great opportunity. We've got a number of people involved in the Union Gospel Mission twice a month. Um, there's a ministry called Readers to Leaders, where you can volunteer to be a reading buddy to little kids learning to read, another great opportunity. Uh, seventh, we've got a great partnership, as many of you know, with Cornerstone Baptist Church in South Dallas. And whatever skills you have, they have a need of it. I mean, if you've never been down at Cornerstone, it's truly amazing what they do. I mean, they've got a bicycle shop, they've got a food pantry, they've got clothing, they've got basically anything you can think of is going on down there at Cornerstone. And it's a tremendous, tremendous ministry. And then the last one I'll mention, and I know there's more, is Mercy Street. Many of you are involved in Mercy Street uh, that's aimed at reaching kids through sports and mentoring. If you love sports, you'll love Mercy Street. Uh, But those are just a couple opportunities, just an idea or two to whet your appetite ultimately for the missions conference. And that's your one thing for this week. Um, Your one thing for this week is I want to ask that you make plans to attend the special missions conference on February the 27th. You'll be hearing more and more about this in our announcements and emails. Uh, But come, get an idea of maybe what God is perhaps laying on your heart as an opportunity to get engaged with people. Uh, One more thing for you, one more story Early this week, you know, last week your one thing was to pray for and look for an opportunity to share the gospel. And uh, earlier this week, it was honestly a really busy day for me. Um, And I I think I skipped lunch. I had a really small window to grab a quick bite to eat for dinner. And so I went home and um, I looked out the front window of the door and I saw a man approaching the door. And I could tell immediately that this was a door-to-door salesman. And to tell you the truth, I wanted to just send him away and say, listen, man, I don't have time to talk to you. I'm, I'm in a hurry. I'm in a rush. I need to get a bite to eat. And uh, can you just kind of go on your way? Um, but instead, I met him at the door, and um, uh, he was a good salesman because as soon as he saw me, he was like, wow, you, you look really great. You're dressed real fancy. Um, he immediately flattered me, right? You know, flattery is a great sales technique. 
Um, but his lead-in question for me was, what's your driving passion every day? He said, you know, you look like you're a successful guy, which is hilarious. He had no idea who he was talking to. Um, but he said, what's your driving passion for your success? And again, I wanted to just kind of send him on his way, but I said to him, you know, to be honest with you, it's Jesus. My driving passion every day is, is Jesus. And you could tell immediately by his response that he had never heard that answer before. <laughs> Um, he probably wished he had passed by my house to go to another one. Um, but it was great that I got to praise God. God gave me that opportunity. Our paths crossed, and I got the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. And it was a good feeling, a really good feeling. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. Such a happy feeling you're growing inside, and when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's just a good feeling, a very good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new, and I'll have more ideas for you, and you'll have things you to talk about I will too Thank you Brian Piper Let's pray uh, Father I do pray uh, that you would help us as we think about really what it is to be the people you have created us to be people created as the image bearers of God, people created um, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be people who love our neighbor as ourself. God, I pray for myself. I pray for each and every person here, those watching online, um, that you would continue to give us opportunities, that we would cross paths with people and we could be loving, compassionate, merciful, and that we could give them a reason for the hope that's within us. Uh, God, help us to engage with our neighbors. Help us to engage in different ministries here around DFW and around the world. Uh, not for our own credit, not for our own glory, uh, but so that more and more people come to know the love of Christ and the hope we have in him. And I ask this for myself and for each one here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.